Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Randy Langenderfer. Randy is a passive investor on over 4,000 apartment units and a general partner on over 250 units. He's been a private money lender in the single family space and has over 30 years of experience in the corporate leadership. So thank you so much for being on the show, Randy, and uh, hopefully you can uh, correct my pronunciation of your last name. Charles, you did great. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here this, this morning and look forward to hopefully adding some value to your listeners. Awesome. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about your professional background prior to starting your, your current investment business? Yeah. So I took the pretty classic road, you know, of going to uh, college, getting a, a degree, joining a big company. Uh, you know, that was the way my father worked for uh, his career, working for a big company and encouraged me to get a, a good education and a good job of which I'm thankful for. Uh, I'm still in the corporate world today. But I've had the pleasure of, of serving in uh, several different uh, industries, and, and my expertise is really in the, I guess I'm educated in finance, accounting, and information systems, and uh, my work experience is in the last many years has been around corporate governance areas, such as mm -hmm. uh, IT security, uh, compliance, privacy matters, uh, as well as internal audit, and I'm currently uh, at a large academic medical institution in the Houston, Texas market. Okay, great. And then why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle coming from the corporate world? Um, so my journey began probably about 10, 12 years ago. I was um, working for a private equity company at the time, a global manufacturing private equity company. And if you know anything about those guys, their turns are five, seven years max, just like a syndication. They're going to, they just, rather than we do it with apartments, they do it with companies. <laughs> excuse me. And uh, I had come to the conclusion that my time with this company was coming to a close in the next 12 months or so, because it was going to be sold. And, you know, though I'm uh, astute, I guess, as a finance MBA and a CPA, but it takes that real life experience to hit it home to say, you need to do something different. And so I started to, uh, I got, I got attracted to, to real estate by a brother-in-law at the time who had been a displaced exec and he came to me and he had gone to Armando Montalegos. Uh, he's a flipper that you may see in the late night infomercials. He had a school out in California and he went there and paid big money. And he asked me to join him uh, on flipping houses in South Florida. I said, you're stinking nuts. Um, and then he also said, well, really, if you wanna do this, you need to develop a self-directed IRA, uh, at, uh, more funding. And I, and I said, you're double nuts at this time. Uh, because as a, as a finance guy, you know, traditionally we're risk adverse at heart. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's where it started in the, in the single family flipping spaces and realized that I needed to have another income. And so uh, uh, this is developing a second income stream and something that as I move out of the corporate world one day, I, I really don't want to quit. I want to continue on and just change directions. So, okay. So all the different uh, kind of parts of real estate that you've been involved with, you lent millions of dollars as a private lender for single family flips. 
You're currently a passive investor in over 4,000 doors, which is uh, probably uh, one of the most for every any person I've spoken to personally as a passive investor. And you've, um, and you've also become an active investor with over 250 units. So what like what, how does that help you um, coming from that passive side? And I would imagine, you know, lending on single family homes as a private lender, that's kind of a semi-passive side, I would say. Um, but how has that prepared you for becoming an active investor? I think what Charles would help me do overall is I think it helped me refine or define what I really wanted to do. You know, there's so many aspects as you come into the real estate world, what you could do single family, multifamily, storage, mobile home parks, um, buy and hold strategies, flip strategies in each. Uh, and, and so I started out in single family because that's where I had a, a mentor, a brother-in-law, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I learned that uh, I, I, I was living in the Ohio area at the time and I relocated to Houston for business purposes when that private equity firm was ending. And I realized just how much work it was uh, every to keep flipping and to get um, turns and to get leverage scale that you had to do a lot of work, gaining comfort with uh, the person doing the work, the comps in the area, the rehab plan, all, all that stuff became very detail oriented. And so when I attended a single family um, session here, uh, one of the big educational sessions in, in Houston, uh, I, I really got turned on to multifamily. And so my transition was one, learning the many different things out there Two, what I didn't want to do. And then yeah. defining that multifamily was the area that really interested me, I guess, first of all. And the last two I would mention is I became enthralled with the thought of um, non-recourse debt. I had looked at buying businesses along the way, but was very reluctant to sign personal guarantees. So the thought of uh, syndication, not having to own, have millions of dollars, which I didn't, or have to have to sign personally and put my, everything I had gotten so far in life, all any assets I had accumulated, my house, my cars, everything else. Uh, I, I just didn't want to sign for those. So I think that start was very good. And, you know, everybody needs to find out what's their comfort zone and what's in it for them because we're all different. Yeah, I feel it's a great starting point for new investors. What about for you? Uh, is that something that you suggest to people when they're interested in starting, but um, maybe don't have the, uh, the ex expertise? I don't have the expertise. And the reality is they may not have the capital either. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Multifamily is a capital intensive game. You, you it's not a no money down, uh, <laughs> no, no, you know, bad credit and all the stuff you see advertised. So Carlton sheets type program. Carlton sheets, There you go. <laughs> uh, he was the forerunner to Armando Montalego. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a great place to start. And I think uh, the ability to, work with people of like-minded there to get houses and to flip if you want to, because the fastest way to create cash, quite honestly, of what I've learned is flipping houses. Mm. Um, there's a risk involved. Uh, you have to educate yourself and find those, but the fastest way to make cash is to flip houses. Mm. Multifamily is a long-term strategy, you know, three, five, seven years at a minimum, generally uh, buy and hold houses. You can do that. But if you want to generate some quick cash, single family flips is a good place to start. Yeah. And the other thing about that too, is that um, with single family flips, one thing that kind of 
I, I did years ago and when I was active managing, active managing my uh, real estate because um, you had a lot more access to a lot of contractors regularly. So it was much easier to complete that. And I found that to be the hardest part of flipping. The other thing too, is that when you're flipping, um, it's, it has to be to the FHA specifications. So it's very difficult to take a house that's in terrible shape and make sure it's, it fits all these different um, buckets, right? Um, that are put out by us so you can, they can get financing when you sell it. Uh, when you're doing with multifamily, it's a much longer term play. And the people, you'll know that when you go to one of these conferences, whether the difference between the level of wealth uh, of people that you meet at a multifamily or self-storage con uh, conference plus uh, compared to a wholesaling or flipping conference, it's a, everybody's in a completely different um, financial position, which is interesting too, because they've already realized this is a five, 10 year investment uh, scenario, right? I just don't, yeah. I'm not just trying to pay my, get my car from not being repoed next week. And uh, it's like different. And it's like with, re when we go into multifamily, you can go into a property and say, oh, we'll spend $5,000 uh, to renovate this, or we can just $500 to paint it and to clean it and we'll rent it again. It doesn't have to fit any specific um, kind of checklist, right? That we need to prepare it for the next person. It's depending more of our decision of where we want to put that, that, that unit. So. Yeah. And so, so for the novice can become overwhelmed pretty quick with those options. Uh, I guess the, the, the thought I'd leave with your audience, if any of them are in that category is just to get started, um, you know, pick, pick a place and start because uh, the analysis paralysis is, is so easy to fall into. Yeah. And that's, there's so many different, uh, there's so many different ways of how that pushes you back when you're looking at properties and there's so many things you're supposed to be reviewing before taking action. But that also, like you said, can really uh, elongate the time before you actually purchase a property. So um, Randy, when we were talking previously, you're talking about one of your investments and I believe it was like your first or second deal as an active investor, a general partner. And uh, you had some, you know, some serious issues with that property. Can you tell us a little bit about that deal and what happened with it? You know, you all, we've, we've all had those experiences in life where you look back and say, that was very beneficial. But when you're living through it, it's extremely painful. Yeah. Um, and that, that's the instance here you're, you're referring to, Charles. And so our first, uh, my first multi, so I continue to invest both passively and uh, actively, as you said. Um, I'll always be both, hopefully, uh, for a long time to come. I just uh, boost your returns, it, all, all the reasons. But the first uh, general partnership was... Uh, the classic what not to do. So uh, it was a property, 139 unit property in Beaumont, Texas. Now I'm in Houston, so it's about 100 miles east of uh, Houston for those of you who don't know the geography. It's a great community. It's a, a blue collar community. So great for B's and C's investing. They're heavily tied to the petrochemical industry, but not necessarily gasoline. 139 unit, um, flat roof, chiller boiler built in 1965 and we bought it in I think we closed in January of 18 and so first of all anxious to get started in space so and I remember I had a, a mentor a buddy at the time says Randy don't do a chiller boiler property just don't do it uh, they're so capital intensive they are they're, they're very efficient actually from a energy perspective but they're just very capital intensive. And, you know, if something goes bad, all 139 units go out, not just one unit. And so large risk. So I hope you're in for a little bit of a long story, but we, we bought it in January of 18 
And we decided to retain the property manager at the time because they had been involved with another pro local property we were at and we thought they were rock stars. So we bought the property in January of 18 and we're all excited, full of energy, got a rehab budget all ready to go, uh, raised uh, about million and a half, $2 million, just gung-ho. And in, we bought, I think we closed January 15 of 2018 and it was approximately March 20th, March 15th of 2018. I get the call sitting in my office, Randy, um, I just wanna let you know, the building's on fire. Oh my gosh. Um, well, it wasn't the whole building. One of the buildings is on fire. So, you know, so immediately you, you can just imagine how that's received two months into this. And, and they always say that, you know, if you do this long enough, you're going to have a fire or a lawsuit. I just didn't think it was going to happen two months in. Um, so, you know, the, the, the lessons learned there where there was a fire, thank goodness for property manager, the really good news is nobody was injured. There was no loss of life. Uh, tenants did get out. Uh, local fire department was on site. And you can imagine a 1965 building goes up like kindling um, because it's nothing but frame. And uh, so the lessons learned were um, the advantage of local on-site management, get, get uh, the services, the community services involved, take a tenant focus, I guess is the bottom line. It's easy as the property owner to get real financially oriented, but as a um, human being and as an owner, you really want to take a tenant perspective. So American Red Cross comes out, helps stabilize, yeah. stabilize the tenants, gets them uh, situated for the immediacy. Some local vendors contributed to gift cards and stuff like that. It was only about 20 units that were affected out of the 139, uh, but it was, it was, I think 10 of those units had to be literally gutted and reframed the studs and everything because, and the roof had to be taken off. So uh, one, uh, a fire comes in and then we retained this property manager that we thought were rock stars and quickly realized uh, upon takeover that we had asked them to switch out the onsite and they had hired an onsite wow. literally weeks before the fire. And she was a very good individual, but she had, commercial real estate in the industry, industrial space, not multifamily. And that's okay too. She was a great individual, but she didn't have any backup from the home office. So in the ensuing months, uh, I, I, I effectively became the regional manager. And I was spending probably 20 plus hours a week making rent rolls, uh, adjustments, maintenance fixes, uh, hiring people, assisting in that. Um, rehab, inspectors, vendors, uh, et cetera, et cetera, on the fire. Um, but it was, it was essential on the behalf of our investors. And I felt really compelled to make sure the vendors were, I mean, the investors were safe and secure. So we were first and foremost wanted to do that. And so that's in uh, uh, the fires in March, uh, fast forward in about October of 18, we replaced the management company entirely. Uh, we retained the on-site person, but uh, Charles, the lessons learned there is really on-site property management and the property management company. Do your due diligence. Uh, we thought we did, but you really don't realize what a bad one is until you've had one. Uh, it was really, really uh, much more work than we ever had to do.
in retrospect. So get to know property management before you make LOIs, before you make uh, deal acquisitions so that they can be part of the transition and help implement your business plan. So you inherited that previous property management company. How did you find the new one? Was it done through a referral? That is a tough one on the fly when you're in the midst of, you know, draining the swamp uh, or attempting to drain the swamp. And so the reality is, is just calling fellow uh, syndicators, uh, talking to educational groups in the Houston, who were they? One of my partners uh, was a commercial broker. So he had some recommendations and it was just literally, um, you know, keep calling until you can get somebody. And we actually found a really good one. Um, they were like, it was just night and day. Uh, they, they, it was just, um, incredible. The difference, the assistance they could give from, you know, the regional and the corporate office in terms of rent rolls and process. Uh, uh, so it became after about early in, uh, 2019, it became pretty, uh, easy to provide the asset management, but I'll, I'll say we, when people ask what, what does an asset manager do as a syndicator? I would say we we earned every cent of the asset management fee on that deal. Yeah, uh, that's, that's very interesting. It's also interesting too. I remember the first time I got third-party management, I, I mean, uh, 10 plus years ago on, on a small portfolio of properties. And um, and they're like, oh, you got to sign like a one-year contract with. And I, got, I found, my father actually found it uh, through a referral. And now I go back and really you don't understand if they're going to be a good manager or not. And it really takes a year plus. So, I mean, I will never get another referral or I'll never get any of these major vendors that aren't coming from referrals, property manager being, um, cause you, you get, you're going to get, as I found some of the best and from brokers are fantastic and investors with similar properties in nearby areas are, are even better. Right. And um, because you don't know, you start, they start, oh yeah, we've rented all these apartments. We rent it. Well, you know, just because you rent it to someone doesn't mean they're going to be a good tenant and all this kind of stuff going forward. And you don't know they're not going to be a good tenant for nine months, 12 months in, right? Everybody starts off as a great tenant, right? And then some of them fizzle out when they're not vetted properly. So you don't really know exactly how good your property management is, I guess, um, and verify them until you have renewals coming up. Um, people get renewed. They're not just getting, um, Hey, we're not, we're not renewing you on this cause you're a terrible tenant and, uh, stuff like this. So it's interesting that with property manager, it's not like you just don't figure out right away if you're dealing with a good company or not. Uh, yeah, I echo that hundred percent. And, you know, we, we thought we had done the due diligence asking the question, you know, you know, so are you, a, a, an ABC, uh, property management company? What's your experience in this specific sub market? Um, you know, what kind of resources, tools do you have to offer? Um, what kind of online or um, accounting tools do you use? And, you know, do you use the accrual method, a cash accounting plural versus the accrual method? And, you know, subtle but big differences. How do you build community uh, at, on a property? How do you try to create a sense of community? That's huge for um, tenant retention. And none of the big educators are teaching that stuff. Yeah. They're teaching acquiring and underwriting and, and you get a $40,000, $50,000 a year on-site manager that is your arms and legs of a multi-million dollar asset. So 
Yeah, that's definitely, they're, they're talking about raising money and finding deals, which is very important. But the asset management and property management really makes the deal. And if you're paying $40,000 for a handyman and $40,000 for the admin person right in the office that's doing leasing and collecting money, if it, if it runs like that, um, these are the people that are actually the face of the property. And they have to be very good. And it's something that you can't overlook that, especially with larger properties where you have on-site management. You know what I mean? And um, because it's yeah. very important for every day, they're going to see, you know, every day your people in the office are going to, or your tenants are going to see these people as they're walking through the parking lot or through the hallways or whatever. So. Yeah. They're the first impression they give, you know, the sign may attract somebody out front, but uh, the leasing agent and the property manager um, sitting in the office are the, are the, you know, the old adage, you don't get, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So, so let's talk about how you manage your uh, passive investors during this. I imagine that was as much headache as the 20 hours or a big chunk of the 20 hours a week you were spending becoming a general contractor overnight. Yeah, I, I said I, I got my uh, honorary PhD degree in um, property management with that asset, but it was, like I said, looking backwards, it was very beneficial. I think what we what we tried to do was make it very personal. So, you know, we got the I got the call. I said in my office, uh, the partners had a meeting that night, and we all got on the phone the very next morning with our investors and started to you know not send out an email blast, but trying to catch them and talk through it to let them know. I didn't leave any voice messages other than call me. I want to give you a quick update, and so tried to make it very personal. I guess was the so that. They knew we took this very seriously. We were on it. Um, and then after the initial one was just continued update every and the monthly updates. So we would provide uh, itemization in the letter itself of the spend. So here's, you know, here's what it's going to take to refurbish this building. Here's the estimated insurance proceeds and just showing a breakdown of what's spent what's to be spent as well as the and concurrently we were still doing the initial capex uh, enhancements so uh, it was it became obviously ended up i think we ended up putting almost two million dollars in this in this property uh, at the time but um so communicate and you can't over communicate is all i'm saying you can't give too much data data in my mind the, the tendency for some syndicators is just to give the executive summary of the three or four bullet points, you know, rehabs on target, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I would just encourage more detail and less in those environments. And yes, it was time consuming, but I think we built a lot of rapport and uh, with investors and trust, obviously to managing expectations. When that happens, distributions are going to be, dis we discontinued distributions for the immediate future to preserve cash. So we hadn't, I mean, two months in, we hadn't even started distributions, but we also telegraphed to them that distributions were scheduled to come in at six months. They were going to be postponed. Um, we actually made one in nine months and 12 months, but um, we missed year one targets, but we had had that communication along the way that I think they were expecting it. So the good news, I got to give you the good news is, is we sold it 21 months in in October of 19 for 120% return to uh, investors. So we were uh, ecstatic in the end. Yeah, so your investors will return your calls for your next project, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's very, it's, it's awesome. That's great to hear that, that you went through that whole process and you're able to come out and fare. I mean, what the amount of uh, experience you received in one year 
that you probably didn't want to receive, but um, now has probably shaped how you're investing into the future. Um, how has your operations changed over your portfolio going forward after this experience? Well, I, I think it's now it's, I don't know if it's because I've, been, I've done some passive and active or GP investing, but I, I think my criteria becomes more conservative. Um, you know, I think the market situation when I want, you, you want to make sure obviously that a property, a property can cash flow immediately. Um, you may preserve cash and not make a distribution for the first six months or so, but it, it's got to be producing cash right away. You have to um, expect some of those bad things to happen. You know, performance are always just performance. Uh, you know, and coming from the corporate world, you, you realize that not a lot of investors do, but it's your track record. So we have a good track record on that one as we look for new ones. But it, so it's, I would say it's, it's underwriting, it's looking for cash. And the other thing would be really to make sure we weren't undercapitalized, but we should have asked and raised more money coming in than we did to have more of a cushion. So that would be another key element going forward. And the other one, Charles, back to the property management one. I, I won't even write an LOI today unless I've got a property management company in that submarket that I know and have talked to and have a relationship with. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very important. I think anybody that's not planning on active managing should have that portion of their team set up and vet it before they go. And just like you're going to have a, an attorney, your real estate attorney set up and your lender and all those sorts of things that you should have in line before you're putting out LOIs, um, definitely the property manager, because it is, I feel the most important piece um, of the whole investing puzzle, because like you said, they're the, the they're your ears and your eyes of the property, but they're also the face of the property for your tenants, which is super, super important. And well put, you, and you don't get that until after you've done it once. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or you get a bad one, right? Yeah. So, so you're a coach for new investors. Uh, what mistakes, Randy, do you commonly see uh, new investors or seasoned real estate investors make? Yeah, so I guess the... Uh, you indicated. So I started out at one of the large um, multifamily groups here in Houston and then transitioned to one in Dallas. And um, I've joined recently Rod Khalif's organization as a, as a part of his mastermind, but also uh, I'm a coach because I really love to give back. I, re I really like, um, maybe it's just because of my season of life. I mean, I, I help many people have built into my journey along the way. And so I, I really want to give back. May sound corny, but it's true. And I've had several students. So the answer to the question is what's the kind of mistakes do I see? I think understanding your why, I sense that a lot of people I come into are come in with the idea of get rich quick scheme. Um, you know, uh, what's the 12 step process to have a million dollar portfolio in six weeks or six months or, or whatever. And that may be a little exaggerated, but so it's the, it's the get rich quick scheme um, not understanding the, the, you know, the, the challenges and the time commitment. It's really, it can be done. It's very, I mean, as someone told me this real estate really isn't, you know, brain surgery. It's just executing what's been done hundreds of times by thousands of times by many other people. Uh, and if you study their models, but, uh, so I, I really enjoy talking to them and you get them all over the board. I think the other one is, is understanding your personality, you know, so the, illustration I draw is, um, you know, I, if you've ever heard the ready aim fire illustration, right? So I'm a, I'm a, just that a ready aim fire individual, you know, learn the process, analyze it, implement it, 
there's a lot of people that come into it just, you know, they want to fire aim ready. Um, I had one student was in Seattle and he was literally, a, I had, we'd had one discussion and he was going to become a GP at a property in Houston, uh, like an 80 unit property. And I said, have you been here? Talk to the guy. You know, ended up, this was a, not, I don't know if there is a class F property status, but <laughs> since I was local, I just did online looking. I didn't even, but it was a class F or I don't know what's after that G, uh, but it was, it was, you know, it was in the hood. Um, so educate yourself. Uh, the encouragement I give to students is back to that illustration of define your strategy, study the different strategies. And, you know, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, stay in it for the long haul. Don't get encouraged. Don't get discouraged. And, you know, look for the, the singles and the doubles. And you do that over a long period of time. Um, that's better than the person who hits home runs infrequently and has strikes out as many times. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. The other thing too, is that um, you were saying about people and analysis paralysis. And I think I've had that before, even after starting to invest into uh, multifamily and commercial properties. And I came to the realization years ago where it's like, you know, cause you had some really good, you know, home run properties and you're like, Oh, that was a home run deal. We did fantastically well. And then you go through and you're like, well, not everyone's going to be like that. I'm going to have some doubles, some triples, some home runs. Cause you don't know where you are in the market cycle. You don't know how you're acquiring, you know, the deal, sourcing the deal from people. And um, so that's a huge thing too, is that it doesn't have to be a grand slam on right. every deal you're doing. Um, just make sure it's a good, like you said, a conservative deal. You've checked off a lot of boxes um, for it being that cash flowing from day one, all these important things, especially when you're having investor money, which, uh, you know, you really shouldn't be doing a deal with investor money until you've really done some of yourself. So you kind of have an idea of what you're doing before you take people's money for something that you've never, you've never proven yourself. You know what I mean? You have no proof of concept, but, um, what do you, well. yeah, thank you. Thank you. What do you think are some of the main factors that have contributed to your success, Randy? Um, one is I am a lifelong student. So I, I go back to that education. I started investing passively before I ever became a general partner because I wanted to, um, I didn't have full-time status in this. I, I still continue to work, as we said. So a lifelong student, I wanted to learn it. So I started investing passively. I joined the educational groups. I think many people push back, you know, well, I don't have tons of money whatever, but I, I think back to the amount of money I invested in my undergraduate and graduate degrees and um, with little or no expectations for doing that. But so education, uh, people need to educate themselves. And uh, I think that's huge is uh, be you know, back to what we just said. It's, you know, the hare and the tortoise, uh, slow and steady wins the race. So just look at it as a marathon, be a student. Um, there's so many opportunities out there. I've been doing multifamily for six years now, and there's so many opportunities now to network, um, you know, podcasts, uh, local meetups, the, the national and the regional educational groups. Um, hang in those spots and you'll get a ton of free education. Uh, and you're hanging around with like-minded people yeah. who want to do the same stuff. So I would say uh, education, desire to learn, uh, taking the long view versus the short view, at least a couple of the nice, fantastic. Um, the other thing too is that when you were saying about all the networking, I, I agree with that. Where 
I'll go to a networking event for two or three days. And my thinking going into it is meeting one person or getting one kind of nugget of information. And I can look back on a number of conferences I've spent. And um, you just get one thing that you hear from someone else, maybe just in a one-on-one uh, you know, meeting in a hallway outside of it or uh, afterwards at dinner or whatever it might be. And you take that and you implement to your business and um, it's worth everything that all the time you spent and all the money you spent and everything like that. So you don't know who's going to give it to you. And you don't know where you're going to get it. So um, definitely. And, and they'll come where you least expect it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and as you start to attract investors, I do, and you have conversations, luncheons, Zoom appointments, whatever, uh, it's just fascinating. And that, I, I love that aspect of it too, as well as the analysis. Yeah. So how can people learn more about you and your business, Randy? Well, Charles, um, I think it's the easiest thing to just go to my website. It's invest, I-N-V-E-S-T hyphen arc, A-R-K.com, invest hyphen arc.com. There's an there's a, um, investor uh, tab there that you can schedule an appointment. would love to talk with, with you if I can provide any value on anything today or otherwise, but uh, it's just a privilege to be here. Well, thank you so much, Randy. I'll put all those links into the show notes. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, meeting up with you again here, connecting in the near future. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars Incorporated exclusively.